Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is The Only Way Is Up. With interest rates at record lows for the past 18 months, is the only way up? And when could this occur? I'm joined by Tim Farrelly, a Finance Hour favourite. We discuss the implications of rising interest rates for both borrowers and investors, and most importantly, how you should plan for an inevitable interest rate rise. Of course, there are my usual segments, Ruben's Rant, where I discuss sneaky bank activity, and my propellate of the week is all about claiming a tax deductions. We apologise for some technical difficulties during the interview with Tim, but please stick with it, it'll be worth your while. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Finance Hour. You may be listening live on Jair or on our podcast. Either way, this is the show where we help you make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you make better decisions. My name's Ruben Zoller. I'm a financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. We're a boutique financial advice firm that work with professionals, business owners, and those planning retirement. A little reminder from our lawyers, anything we discuss today is general information only. It is not personal advice. If you do want personal advice, uh, see your accountant, uh, financial planner, lawyer, or even speak to your mate uh, who comes over for a barbecue. Maybe the next-door neighbour may have some good insight for you that you didn't know about. Anyway, the topic of today's show is the only way is up. Yes, we are talking about interest rates. Interest rates have been at record low levels for 18 months now. It's actually more than 18 months. And we're going to have a chat with a finance hour favourite, Tim Farrelly, about where interest rates are going and what impact that might have on you. Whether or not you are a borrower, one of the many Australians that owe lots of money on their home loan and lots of money on their credit cards, or indeed uh, if you are an investor, someone who's trying to eke a bit of returns out of the term deposit market. So this show will be interesting for a wide range of listeners. In fact, I think everybody who listens today uh, will get something out of this show. And I would ask you to, if you do enjoy it, please share the podcast, forward it on to your friends, follow us on Facebook, and uh, hopefully we can reach more people. But uh, on the issue of interest rates, it is now time for Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week is about interest rates. Uh, The news in in today's paper was that Commonwealth Bank and Westpac Bank slashed 0.3% off the rates for their online saver accounts. They've decreased the rates to 0.5% in total on those accounts. So these are meant to be the high interest earning accounts, and now they're down to 0.5% interest. So what else are we going to hear from the banks? Recently, I've not spoken about it on the show, they actually uh, increased rates that they uh, charge borrowers for on interest-only loans or investment loans. They jacked them up to increase their profits. Now what they've done is they're decreasing the rates that they're paying uh, to investors. What next? What next can they do? Uh, it really is a bit troubling. Now, obviously, a way around this is they do pay a little bit more for term deposits, maybe 25 to 3%. And also on the uh, 
when you start these online saver accounts, they usually give you a bonus rate. So your total rate is about 2.5%. But after that, they cut the rates down now to 0.5%. Banks, this is just not good enough. Okay, well, we're going to have a very quick break, and then I'm going to get uh, Tim Farrelly on the line uh, to talk about interest rates, the only ways up. Stand by. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. Uh, Today, uh, the topic of our show is the only way is up. We are talking about interest rates with a Finance Hour favourite, Tim Farrelly. Tim, do I have you on the line? Yes, you do, Ruben. Excellent. Great to have you on, Tim. You are certainly a Finance Hour (laughs) favourite. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, Tim, well, look, the topic of this week's show is the only way is up. Now, we've had interest rates on hold by the Reserve Bank for a record 18 months. 18 months at record low interest rate of 1.5%. Um, we all here, and certainly I as a, uh, as a son of a baby boomer, always hear the horror stories from my dad. He trots out every now and then about how interest rates back in the 90s went up to 15 or 16%. Now we're sitting at 1.5%. Uh, you'd have to think the only way is up. Yes, uh, and I think that's right. Uh, but the answer is probably up, but not very much. And we may even see one more rate cut before they go back up. You actually think we might see a rate cut? We could well see one. That's kind of not a call one way or the other. Really? But just saying, you know, it might creep down a little bit. But if it did, it'd be a quarter of 1%. No, no. Now, in some ways, the interest rates you know, that they quote, I mean, they can be a bit misleading. I spoke... Earlier, uh, I've spoken before on the show about how the banks have jacked up their rates on interest-only loans and on investment loans. Yes. So, I mean, even though I suppose the the RBA is not increasing rates, I mean, are the banks doing part of the job as well? Yes, and part of the issue for the banks is in the first part of this year, their cost of funding themselves, how much they have to pay above the RBA rate, has gone up by about half percent. Not quite that, but uh, most of that. Why did it go result, up? That's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> well, is that just what they told us? They told us no. that their costs are going up. Oh, no, the costs have genuinely gone up. Um, the, they have the bank bill swap rate, which you... You know, it's the rate that a lot of loans are set off. It's the rate that which you know, bank hybrid securities, for example, are set off, has gone up. Mm. And there appears to be a shortage of short-term money about and so they're having to pay a little bit more to get it there are lots of theories as to why this might be the case none of them seem terribly convincing to me and there's not a real clearly answer to that but they have actually gone up geez okay well i really always said that it was just profiteering by the banks but you're saying it's not i mean i thought that under the guise of you know trying to control the housing boom uh they were able to increase their rates uh, which means people can borrow less, which is going to take some heat out of the market, which is what the government wanted. There is some of that. There is some of that. But it's mainly been the hit at the interest only, and they've been encouraging people to move back towards principal and interest, mm. where rates haven't moved much. Mm. I mean, my own, my own loan has gone up by 0.1, mm. which I believe is an accurate reflection of what the bank's funding costs have been hit by because their short-term cash rate has gone up quite a bit. 
but because the interest rate they charge their business borrowers have automatically adjusted up quite a bit. And so they don't have to pass on that much extra to residential borrowers just yet. Right. So I, I, I wouldn't say this is profiteering at this stage, but, you know, the, the banks do like making money, as we all do. Well, well, an interesting thing I just read in the paper, and this was the subject of Ruben's rant. Uh, I don't know if you saw In The Age this morning, they were saying that, that CBA and Westpac have actually slashed 0.3% of the interest rates that they pay for online saver accounts. So these are meant to be their high interest accounts, uh, which are now providing an interest rate all of 0.5%. Now, that's also the money that they, that they use to lend to borrowers. So they're, yeah. cu- they're cutting on that side. Uh, yeah. And they're raising interest rates on the other side. Well, I don't think they've raised interest rates. Most banks, I don't think, have raised interest rates yet, or if they have, it's been a very small amount on their uh, principal and interest loans. It's been the interest-only loans that they've had a go at. Right. And as much as anything else, that's trying to encourage people to move across mm. to the lower rate loan. Um, and, you know... Yes, you could argue it's short-term gouging. Long-term, it's going to hurt them. But it means they'll meet their prudential requirements. Mm. And maybe just for our listeners, uh, just let us know what that means there in, 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 you know, in layman's terms, what their prudential requirements actually means. Okay. Basically, the APRA, the regulator of the banks, is saying you need to have no more than, I don't know what the percentage is, X percent of your loan book as being uh, home, uh, interest only. You must, and, and they felt that there was too much of their overall loan book in interest loan only. They wanted to get a much higher percentage than they were running in principal and interest mm-hmm. because, because that's safer because the principal gets paid down over time or the loan gets paid down over time and therefore the bank's exposure is going down over time. So it's a safer loan to have on your books and in order to meet the type, the requirements set by APRA, they're yeah. offering. Well, they could have offered a special deal to go to the variable rate loan, but they choose the other. They chose the stick rather than the carrot, hmm. and lifted rates in the interest. And that's why, yeah, and that's why I've said on this show before that it really is beneficial for people, even people who have got investment loans that traditionally have been interest only. It's really worth considering even moving them to principal and interest now. Absolutely. And, and it'd be, I, I haven't done the maths, but it would be interesting. You may well find the cash flow difference between the two is not that large, given that, yes, I'm paying principal off, but my interest rate's going to be lower. Yeah, uh, and I have done the maths with several clients and come up with the conclusion that that's what we should do. But that was just a bit of an aside. Let me, let's just go back. I mean, you said... You know, my, my dad tells me about interest rates being, I don't know, 13, 14, 15% back in the early 90s. They're now at 1.5%. You know, how can you say that they, that they may go up slightly or, or even go down? How is that possible? Okay. Here's, here's how it works. According, this is the, the work that I have done. And unfortunately, it's necessary to go back and think about what the Reserve Bank is doing when they set interest rates. Mm-hmm. The Reserve Bank basically have two jobs. One, to keep inflation under control, and in their terms, that means between 2 and 3%. Yep. Over the medium term, so it's allowed to bob out of that shortly, for short periods of time. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, to try and keep full employment. Yep. So, 
the major role they will have in lifting interest rates is when they see inflation picking up and they will lift interest rates until such time as there is sufficient pain in the economy slows down activity enough to uh, basically kill inflation. Yeah. So, so just on that, the, let's just explain why that occurs. So interest rates go up, people have got less disposable money because they're paying more on their home loans, uh, they're buying less things, so, I don't know, shops or whatever have got a discount or they can't increase prices as much as they did. They start laying people off. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the old days, when... Well, let me take, take another step back and talk about inflation for a second. 60% of the cost base of our economy is wages. Mm-hmm. Yep. The biggest driver of inflation in our economy in the long term is wage inflation. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get unemployment going up, guess what? Wages don't go up. Mm. And in the old days, when inflation was a good deal higher than it was today, the way it would work is we'd have a year with 10% inflation. We really used to have 10% inflation. Uh, and, of course, workers would come and, and we're in their next round of pay negotiations, they say, so we need at least 10% more. And so the, the employers would then see their cost base go up by 10%. So what do they have to do? Increase prices by 10%. Next right. year, what happens? The same thing happens over and over. So it's a, they call it the wage price spiral, and it works exactly in that way. Yeah. And in order to stop that, you've got to break the spiral. And the way you break the spiral is by creating a recession. And when lots of people are out of work, they can come along and say, as much as they like, we need 10% more. The answer is no. Your bonus is you're going to keep your job. That sounds like a really nuclear option, Tim. So yeah, wages yeah, are going up a bit too much, so let's just, let's just you know, create a whole lot of unemployment. That, that's, that's the only one that works. <laughs> you know, we, we went throughout uh, the late 60s and through to, I think it was about 1979, of just ever-increasing inflation, not just in Australia and the United States, the UK. UK inflation got to 25%. And wow. that was the time where interest rates went to 17, 18, 21%. We had a major recession that broke the wage price spiral. Inflation came back down, and it hasn't really been necessarily used as nuclear option again. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't at time. Right. Okay, so, ha- so yeah, so I suppose you're getting to how, why that means rates aren't going to go up now. Yes, so there's one more step, yep. and that step is this, that in Australia, because we've got a lot of home loan debt, interest, increases in interest rates have an immediate impact on the spending power of families. Mm. Yep. The RBA lift rates, your home loan rate goes up, you've got less to spend. Yep, yep. And that slows the economy automatically. And pretty quickly. And quickly. And, and just to give you a, a sort of uh, some anecdotal evidence of how fast this is, and this is New Zealand, not Australia, but I'm sure it's not that different. I was recently at a conference in New Zealand where uh, a gentleman was speaking who was a director of one of the supermarket chains in New Zealand, and he said when the power lotto, or whatever the New Zealand equivalent, got above $20 million in a jackpot, they saw grocery sales fall. Really? which wow. just tells you just how finely tuned so many families are in New Zealand. I'm sure it's no different here. Mm. So 
it does have an immediate impact. Now, yeah. the question is, how much do they have to lift up rates to get enough impact to slow everything down? Well, if people have got a huge amount of debt, then I suppose not much. Well, yes, exactly right. I've gone back to the last five interest rate tightenings by the RBA, the last five times, which goes back to the 80s, the last five times they felt we had to slow the economy down in order to break inflation. Yep. And the interest rate increases, uh, I think one of them was about 8%. (laughs) I've also had a look at... What is the ratio of mortgage debt to household income? Now, that's gone up hugely. Yeah. There is about four to five times as much debt. What that means is, is worth about a 5% increase in interest rates back in the late 80s Hmm. in terms of how much impact it has on household spending. Right. So a 1% increase today has got the same impact as a 5% increase back then. Yeah, 5%. And when you go back and adjust the size of the increases it took to slow down the economy or put it in recession, mm. and adjust the amount of household debt, it works out as, all in all five examples, somewhere between 1% and 2% in today's terms. Right. And that's just because we've got so much more debt today more than we debt. did back then. So, assuming that's a good guide, and I believe it is, it says this next tightening cycle, the next time the Reserve Bank feels they need to fight inflation and lift interest rates, it's really unlikely they're going to lift by more than 2%. Mm. Because that's the amount it's taken, adjusted for the exchanges in debt, to kill the economy in the past. Right. Well, that's interesting, though. So you say interest rates may not increase as much, but the impact could be just as deadly, though, couldn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So a small interest rate rise, even as you say 1% to 2%, could also uh, potentially smash us into a recession then, couldn't it? Well, a 2%, I think, would be pretty likely to get us pretty close to the recession. Yeah. Now, that all that says is it's really unlikely that interest rates are going to go up by more than 2% anytime soon. Mm. So, you know, who should worry about this? Well, if you've got a lot of debt, household debt, uh, mortgage debt, most likely. I, I think the number you ought to be planning for is: Can I cope if interest rates go up by two percent? Yeah. So the average home loan rate is four percent. So yeah. interest rates go up to six percent. But I mean, that's fifty percent more than what it is now. Correct. So your your repayments potentially go up by fifty percent. That's massive. Correct. That is massive, and that's the amount you ought to be planning for. Hmm. Now, not everyone's got that flexibility. A lot of people have taken loans out up to the max and they can't cope with that. No, I would suggest the majority of people couldn't cope with that. And, you know, one piece of advice I would give to people is if you're in that situation, try and get yourself into a position where you can cope with it. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily cutting all your expenditure today, but it may mean identifying those areas where you can say, well, you know, the goal is eating out two or three times a week, we've mm. got to go. Mm. We've got to forget the good wines, we're drinking the cheaper ones, whatever. Yeah. 
I suppose the other the other um, way you can mitigate is by making additional repayments now, so that you know you've paid more in, so you've got a bit of a buffer. I mean, you'd never want to have to draw on that, but but I guess it does give you a buffer if you've made the extra payments. Absolutely, and, and mm. I uh, and, and the mortgage offset loans. Mm. I'm pretty sure my understanding of the way that works. If you're putting the money into the offset part of the loan. You can then use that to pay interest down. Yeah, well, that's um, that's true. Uh, although sometimes it can be a trap when you load up your offset account, it can be too easy just to draw it out and use it for expenses. Yeah. So I always say, yes, use an offset account, but when you've got sort of reasonable lump sums, you know, pay it off the loan itself. It actually psychologically um, seems to be more effective, you know, not to redraw to spend it. I would certainly give, uh, suggest that, but if doing that, you got into a position where a 2% interest increase in interest rate could still hurt you, mm. maybe you're better off leaving some in the offset account. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a balancing act. Mm. Having said all of that, I don't see interest rates going up by 2% anytime soon. Mm. Now, the other thing, I mean, we're talking about home loan rates there, but I yeah. mean, I'm seeing... You know, through some of the volunteer work I do, I'm seeing enormous rates of credit card debt as well. Right. And, and, you know, the interest rates that you see on some of those is just frightening. You know, you're talking 16% at the low end, you know, up to 22% on the high end. I mean, people are uh, exposed to interest rate rises in that area as well. Well, without wanting to be flippant, a 2% increase in interest rates when you're already paying 22 is not that big. Mm, percent, yeah. Um, you know, there the challenge is to get rid of that debt by mm. whatever means possible. Look for, you know, there are credit cards out there with lower rates of interest. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's sort of explore all means to reduce that because that, that is crippling those sort of interest rates. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of whether interest rates are going up or down. Yeah. So look, uh, overall, then Tim, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying that uh, you know smaller rates will make a smaller rate rise will make a bigger impact because everyone's got that much more debt. But but the, the level of debt that people have in general does that just make the overall economy just more vulnerable? I mean, you said you've got the issue of rising interest rates, but if people lose their jobs and have got a huge amount of debt. That's a bigger problem. Are we in a more vulnerable situation than we have been in the past? I don't believe so. Uh, no. If the Reserve Bank who sets the short-term interest rates were completely stupid and insensitive, yes. Mm. But they are all over this one. Right. They are completely aware that if they had to increase rates 5% back in the old days, one or two will do the trick now. Mm. Okay. So, overall, I don't think we are in any sort of more risk of a short problem. The long-term problem for us is repaying all of that debt mm. is going to be a draw on the amount of capital we have to invest more broadly uh, in Australia. Because instead of having savings which we use elsewhere, we're just paying off debt, paying off debt, paying off debt. And I think that's a drag on the economy. Mm. But it's not. I don't think it makes us fragile so much as it's a headwind we're going to be pushing in for, into, and we're going to be pushing into for the next 10, 20, 25 years. It's until all that debt gets paid off, this situation is going to be the same. Yeah. 
So, Tim, I just want to uh, switch now to looking at uh, you know, investors as opposed yeah. to the borrowers, right? Because investors now are getting very, very low returns when they put their money in the bank. You you're often hear now people say, oh, I'm, not, I'm only getting you know, 1% in the bank or 2% in the bank. I better invest somewhere else, right? Yeah. So, so what is the... What does the impact of these very low interest rates have on, you know, on the investment markets in general? Okay. Let's start at the safe end. You know, um, as you know better than both of us, the the, critical piece first with an investor is saying, well, how much risk can you take? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to cash and fixed interest, let's talk about that first. I'm going to assume that investors, you know, are investing at around their, their risk tolerance. Yep, yep, the sleep um, test. And so the question then on your secure part of your portfolio is what are the types of secure investments you should be looking at in order to get better than you know the one, one and a half percent in the bank? Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of options there. Um, you know, one, term deposits aren't a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you go out a bit further, you know, some... Term deposits are now paying around 3% for five years. Yeah. Um, and if you accept what I'm saying, that interest rates are unlikely, even at their peak, cash rates are unlikely to get past three and a half. Well, then, you know, if you can get 3.1 over five years, that's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are uh, interest out there which pop give you returns of close to the three, three and a bit as well. Mm-hmm. They'll do it with a little bit of volatility, not a huge amount. Yeah. Um, and so again, as long as people invest in that understand that day to day, month to month, even year to year, my returns will not come out smoothly. But as a medium term investor, someone who's saying, look, I'm going to put this money for four or five years, I'm really confident I'm going to get a good return. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two types of volatility. And the way I like to think about it is if, if I get a bunch of shares or a share portfolio and stick it in a box and go away for five years and come back and open up that box, I've got no idea what I'm really going to have in there. Mm, that's true. If the market's done really well... Hopefully you I've didn't have really Telstra well, in that box. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and so when I put that money in the box, when I open it up in five years' time, It'll depend on a whole bunch of stuff. On the other hand, if I invest in some bond funds, I mean, the bank hybrids are one of my favourites, mm-hmm. where you're getting really good returns, sort of 45 5%, depending on how long you have. I put a bunch of big four bank hybrids in a box. I am totally confident that in five years' time when I come and open up that box, I'm going to have a return that's pretty close to 4% a year for those five years. Right. Now, there might be some negative years in there, but they do jump up and down a little bit. But after five years, I'm really confident what's in there. And I can't say that about shares. Mm. And people sometimes confuse those two different types of volatility. One is a type of ongoing uncertainty. Another one is volatility that sort of heads to a point where you know where it is. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the other one is the road to know. It could be good, it could be bad. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. There are, there are lots of other ways to approach the cash and fixed interest market where if you've got your time horizon right, you know how long you can lock away money for, what you need for liquidity, you can do a whole lot better than the 1.5%.
right. you're going to get out of the bank. Right, so there are plenty of there are plenty of options around there. What about what about the idea though, Tim, that you know people will say, oh, you know, they'll look at the alternative. So I know, and if I'm if I'm pushing you on too fast, I apologise. But they look at the alternative and say, oh, I've got money in the money in the bank is only giving me two percent or three percent. Why don't I go out and buy shares, or why don't I go out and buy my neighbour's property? I mean, oh, isn't that a risk? Yeah. Well, if, if I'm an investor yeah. and my risk tolerance is such that I can easily cope with having half the money in shares and property, mm. and I've only got 20% of my money in shares and property, then that's exactly what you should do. Mm. If for somehow you've managed to get stuck in this low-returning asset and, you know, the last five years, instead of getting the sixes and sevens and eights, out of the share market, you're getting the ones and twos out of the cash market, and finally you've said, well, actually, this is no good, you're right. And you should be up towards your tolerance. But then beyond that, if you say, well, actually, I'm a kind of a 50-50 equities and secure type of investor, Mm. um, but because I'm getting such poor returns in my secure portfolio, I want to now put 80% in equities, that's a big mistake. Right. But doesn't, don't you think that that actually happens, though? I mean, don't people... Oh, sure. You look at the property market, right? You know, I think there's no doubt that low interest rates, so, you know, the, the comparative rate that you could have got by putting it in the bank or whatever, I think there's no doubt that it, that it can drive those markets to enormous bubbles. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it certainly can happen. I don't think it's actually happened this time around. Even in the property market? Uh, residential property market... Probably closer to a bubble. Mm. Uh, I, I don't have it quite in that um, category yet. When I look at Resi property at the moment, I say, well, you're typically getting a year, or I don't know, one and a half, two, if you, if you factor it in properly. Mm. Uh, and then uh, over and above that, you should get... I think you should do a couple percent of growth mm. over the next 10 years. Right. Well, it's not very compelling. I mean... Oh, it's absolutely uncompelling. <laughs> I, I, I can get to a return of three or four without too much of a problem. Mm. Then I maybe pay a, a fair swag of that away in transaction costs. But I can get to three or four. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of... Right, and it's not like you know you're going but to get negative five percent per annum return over the next ten years. I, I don't, I don't expect that out of the property right. market. Right. Uh, I, I, I just see it as in, in my world, if I'm getting a return that I expect to be less than cash, now we're getting into bubble territory. Mm. So we're not quite there yet on the resi property. But you would but, agree that the low rates have pushed it up to the point that it is now. Oh, the, the low rates are such that. You know, three or four percent even out of property markets is still better than one and a half or two percent out of cash. Mm. If cash rates were at five, I don't think it's going to happen. But if cash rates were at five, then the property market's in a bit of trouble. Yeah. What about the other markets? What about share markets? I, I don't. The, the share market doesn't bother me in the slightest, and the reason for that is this: if you accept the argument that cash rates are going to go to no more than half, the Reserve Bank increases interest rates and that may be years away, uh, that's, the market already thinks that's going to happen. Mm. If you look at 10-year government bonds, which to a large extent is 
where does the market think that interest rates will be on average over the next 10 years? They're running about 2.7. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the market's kind of saying, look, we're going to have a few more years of one and a half to two, and and on average, it's going to average to about 2.7. The market is already assuming that cash rates will pick up a little bit. So even the, you're talking about the uh, the bond market, but the share market, you're saying, has factored oh, that in as well? I believe so. I believe yeah. so. I, I think the share market, and in fact, when you speak to most uh, professional fund managers, it, they all assume markets, the interest rates are already at 5%. Mm, when they've got that one wrong for the last 10 years. For the last 10 years, most fund managers, I, the equity fund managers I talk to, are saying, oh, well, when interest rates go back up to the five and six again, they just use it More recently, that's And so I don't think that's in the market too much. So that one doesn't bother me. As long as any interest rate increases relatively slow. Mm. If all of a sudden, for reasons I can't imagine at the moment, we saw interest rates trading or going much, much higher, very fast. That would scare the market. Mm. Okay, so you don't see that we're in yeah, overvalued territory for Australian shares. Uh, what about what about uh, things like commercial property, office property and, and retail? I, I, think, like? I reckon commercial property is about right. Yeah. If you look at the yields on commercial property... They've largely fallen by about 2% over the last seven or eight years. Yeah. And that's about the same amount the overall level of interest rates have fallen. Mm. And so you go, well, if interest rates have fallen by a couple percent, then the yields you get on property should also fall by a couple percent. That's been a huge tailwind for commercial property. Mm. So I think from here on in, commercial property owners have got to do it the, hard, the old-fashioned way. And they've got rent increases which by and large normally work out at about inflation, mm. plus the yield they're getting, in most cases somewhere between four and six, and should get a return, you know, somewhere between six and seven percent, maybe eight percent. But that's a, that's, a, that's a lot more attractive than what you think could be available if you're buying into a residential property at the moment. Absolutely. It's, it's, Absolutely. Like, it's like chalk and cheese. Yeah, and, and the reason is when your residential property is here, uh, and that's really all of the difference. It's in it's in the income yield. It's in the income yield. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and what about uh, just just follow? I mean, I know it's a, a very big market, but uh, international shares. Uh, international shares. The U.S. share market, I do think, is overpriced. Yeah. Um, you're paying a lot. For your earnings, there's a widespread assumption that earnings are just going to go through the roof and, and stay there. I don't think that's true. The yields are very low. Yeah. And so my expectation of the US share market is you might get returns of three to four percent a year. Not very attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tim, other what, market. Yeah, the other markets. Just quickly, yes. Yeah, so, so say Europe and. Uh, you're not having to pay quite so much for that, mm. those earnings. And uh, I think you should be getting returns of sevens and eights. Yeah. So, you know, again, they're not 
what in the past was considered to be really exciting returns. But when cash rates are one and two, seven and eight looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Tamir, look, we're coming towards the end, but um, as I said, this this show is all about uh, the only way is up for interest rates. So I want to ask you for your three tips uh, for people who are worried about interest rates going up. If you can do something about it, prepare yourself for an increase in interest rates up to 2%. Yep. A 2% increase in interest rates anytime soon is extremely unlikely. Mm. So, yes, you can do it. Tim, look, thank you very much for the uh, for the chat today. It's always great having you on, uh, and uh, we will speak to you again next time. Excellent. Thanks very much, Ruben. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, now it is time for my propeller head of the week. Propeller head of the week. Now, the propeller head of the week this week is all about uh, doing your tax return. Now, June 30 is come and gone, so it's time to get to your account and do your tax return. And, of course, when you do that, you want to maximize the claims that you can, you can get on your tax return. So uh, a couple of things just to be pointed out is you can always, with your work claims, if you've got tax-deductible work claims, up to $300, you need to have a reasonable basis, but you actually don't need to necessarily have receipts for tax deductions of up to $300. The other thing you can you can be aware of is you get $0.45 cents per hour uh, working from home. So a, an automatic deduction of $0.45 cents per hour working from home. And if you have a car as well and you didn't want to fill out a logbook, up to 5,000 uh, kilometres, you can you can uh, claim 66%, $0.66 cents per kilometre. The other thing is if you've got uh, tax deductions over that amount, the the ATO will actually also even accept your credit card statements as legitimate receipts. So just because you don't have all the receipts on you, uh, you can still claim some reasonable tax deductions without the actual receipts. So make sure you speak to your accountant and claim the tax deductions that you can. Okay, well, thanks very much for listening to the show this week. Uh, It's been great. Uh, If you want to hear any of my previous shows, please uh, search The Finance Hour on iTunes or head over to adaptwealth.com.au and go to the podcast section. Uh, Otherwise, have a great week and we will see you again next week.